Morning, Cornerstone. My name is Jeff Noonan. Some of you may know me, some of you may not. One of the things I wanted to say right off the bat is I had one instruction from Pastor Paul here, and that was not to wear a tie. But if you noticed, his son is playing guitar. Did you see what his son was wearing? And so I'm just saying, I don't understand that, you know, but that's okay. I didn't wear a tie. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, I, the Lord has placed a message on me uh, through uh, the book of Job that we're going to be in today, the, the first chapter of Job. And I'm very thankful to be here on the Thanksgiving week. It's been a very special time uh, for Lindsay and I. Did you notice how they took these out? Because I like to move around. So they sandwiched me right here. And I'm not as good as Pastor Scott to where I can just say it all by memory. So I do have notes and I have a table here, but they're trying to keep me, I think, right here for you guys. But that's okay. But this week is sandwiched between two seasons that I think makes Thanksgiving look smaller sometimes. And that's Halloween and Christmas. Halloween, we dress up and we we put on a a fake identity, we change our identity, and then we get rewarded with it through candy. So I I dressed my kids up in little SWAT gear this morning, you know, and I did too. And um, we went around our neighborhood, and every time we went to a house, lights went off and the doors shut. And I, I just didn't understand that, right? No, I'm kidding, we didn't do that. But, you know, I, that's what Halloween's about. And then we have Christmas, where we worship the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's often also a time of receiving. You know, my kids have already told us, I know exactly what I want for Christmas, already. We haven't even got to Thanksgiving yet. The tree's not even up yet. So... Thanksgiving is a very special time, a time that we can focus on gratitude. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is gratitude. And this series that Pastor Scott has been preaching on comes at a perfect time for me and my life, because I really have to be intentional about practicing gratitude. And for those of those gym rats out there that like to go to the gym, if you don't use that muscle, it starts to weaken over time. And Pastor Scott is right. Gratitude is a muscle that we must strengthen all the time. My kids make fun of me because I'm getting older and I do push-ups with them every once in a while and I do push-ups on my own and I creak and my kids make fun of me. But if I, you know, it's this elbow. It's like a rocking chair. I kid you not. We'll do it after service if you want. You can hear it. But what's, what's so important is that you keep doing that. You keep using those muscles So they can strengthen. So it's just automatic, this muscle memory. Well, gratitude is like that. And I think that we must be purposeful in choosing to be grateful. And so that's my big idea for you this morning. And that's what I want to get across to you today. As believers, we must be purposeful in choosing to be grateful. What does that mean, being purposeful in choosing to be grateful? I believe purposeful... When you think about it is we have to be intentional every day of our lives to choose to be grateful. Every day something's going to happen in your life. And you can choose to project that blame on somebody else, some other entity or whatever else. But as we read in Job, I want you to look at his life and we're going to unwrap it. And you're going to see a man who did not deserve what came to him. 
And he was purposeful about the gratefulness that he had. He was purposeful about the worship that he had. And so we're going to talk about that and we're going to unwrap that. But in life, as you know, life can be extremely difficult. Life is difficult. It's hard. It is unfair. And so we must, we must remember that in those times, we have to embrace a grateful attitude towards God. In the times of difficulty, we need to cling to God even more. I want you to picture a compass. And I've always used this illustration with my kids and at work and whatnot. But I want you to picture a compass. Those of you in the military, you know what I'm talking about. You hunt, you know what I'm talking about. An old school compass. Not the computer in your car that tells you which direction to go. But a compass where the needle always points north. Always points north. And then you find the direction that you need to go to. Well, as a scout in the infantry, in the 5th infantry, I had this little compass. I was out there on my own many times. And that stinking needle wanted to take me over and through terrain I didn't want to go through. I used to curse that little compass. I'd sit there with a little poncho over my head, with a little red light, and I'm like, seriously? But that's the way of life. Now I want you to picture a compass where the, the needle always points to our Heavenly Father. Always. We have a moral compass in our life. And that needle in your life, when you think about God and you think about being purposeful about giving grace and or gratitude and worship to Him, that needle always points to our Heavenly Father. No matter what happens in life, no matter what course you get onto, that is your moral compass. And you need to remember that compass will always point you back home. Everything in life. I told my son this. My son, we were very thankful this weekend we got to talk to him. He's in the military. This is his unit insignia here. He's in the ranger bat but we got we got to talk to him yesterday he now think about this for a second and this week think about what your military goes through to give you what we enjoy every day he got 10 hours leave yesterday 10 hours that was it and he got to call us 10 hours for last two weeks He has averaged, because of the leadership program he's in, he has averaged 45 minutes of sleep a night. He gets one meal a day. He does that for you and I. And you know what he did yesterday? Broke my heart, man. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh. He says, Dad, it's fine. I get through it. He says, because I have you and Mom, I have my wife, and I have God. And God is always, always, always there for me every day. Job was that kind of man. And we're going to unpack the character of Job today. If you would, please stand with me as we're going to read a portion of it as we honor God's word. And I want you to think about what Job goes through. I want you to think about who Job is. And as as we read about the character of Job, and you read about all the wealth and success he had, I want you to remember that Job was a righteous man. Pastor Scott challenged us a couple weeks ago to reach out to two people who impacted our life and who was righteous and was always that godly example. Job was that man. Just because he had unimaginable wealth, don't think for a minute that he didn't put God first. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. 
Seven sons and three daughters reward him. He deserves our credit right there, I'm telling you. <laughs> I have four. Seven sons and three daughters. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and, ve- and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Go and have a seat, please. Job was a man of well-deserved prosperity. He was a godly gentleman, extremely wealthy, a fine husband, a faithful father. But it doesn't mean that he was perfect. He was not perfect. It means that in everything, he kept his focus on God. He was purposeful about that. I draw your attention to how he thought about his kids, his concerns with his children. With all his wealth, with all his vast success he experienced, he was concerned with the hearts of his children. Isn't that the way as parents? And everything that they do, everything that our kids do, if we can be successful about their heart in this world, we have won most of the battles. That's why it brought me to tears yesterday in my, in my backyard after I, I hung up the phone with my son. He's like, God, Dad, I got this. They can do anything that they want to me. God is standing right there with me. And he has story after story after story of how God led him through the difficult times he was going through. That's Job. That is Job. Now let's read on. You can keep your seats, but I want to I illustrate to you, I paused before we got to verse 6. I paused before we got to verse 6, but in Scripture, there's no pause. As Job is offering burnt sacrifices for all ten of his children, there's something else unfolding in the throne room of God simultaneously. Let's look at that. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Understand this. God knew exactly what Satan was up to. Exactly. It was a rhetorical question. But I also want you to to understand Who's in charge here? Satan is a created being that cannot do anything without the permission of God. So he shows up in the throne room of God, and God's asking, where have you been? What are you doing? Oh, I'm roaming here and roaming there. Have you considered my servant, Job? Now think about this. Can you imagine right now or tomorrow or the next day in your life to be going about your business And have God sit in his throne room and call you his servant. Have you considered my servant, Jeff? Have you considered my servant, Teresa? 
Have you considered my servant Brian? Think about how special that would be. Job was not perfect, but he put God above everything else. He was described as God's servant, blameless and upright. Let's look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and, and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and his possessions have, oh I'm sorry, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. What did God tell him? Okay. Everything that he has is in your hands. Don't touch him. Who's in charge? Who's in charge in this world? God is in charge. And if God is for you, who can be against you? God says, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Now let's see what happens. Verse 13. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside him, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, I'm going to pause there for a second because I want you to understand something. There's going to be four servants coming. Now what I picture in my mind, and this is just how I process it, is Job standing here, sees a servant running up to him. And then as this servant's talking to him, here's another servant over here starting to run up towards him as well. How far these servants have to travel? It's back to back to back to back calamities that are coming onto Job. Think about how you would process this if you had everything taken away from you. Everything. Verse 14, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older, oldest brother's house, and behold, Behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell, and the young people, they died. And I alone have escaped to come and tell you. In a quick and brutal sweep, Job is suffering. Job is suffering. Everything that he had was taken from him. He's broken, he's mourning. And keep in mind, he was faultless. He was righteous and an upright man. An upright man. How would you in your life, and we do this all the time, 
One small thing happens to us and we're quick to project the blame on somebody else. We're, we're quick to get angry and frustrated with God and blame him. I don't deserve this. Job had every right to do that. In fact, Satan, that's what he predicted. God was like, oh no. Oh no. What does Job say? Verse 20. What happens? Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. He fell to the ground and worshipped. He was intentional at that moment in choosing God. Because he knew with everything that's happening, there's one constant. One constant in our life. And that's how much God loves you. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how Job responded. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job knew that God's unconditional love would always be there. March 2nd, 1998. We had a young officer. Suzanne, can you show the the next slide for me? We had a young officer. March 2nd, 1998. And the sheriff's office, we patrol a very large area, 8,000 square miles. This officer worked nights. He had 1,800 square miles to patrol by himself. He responded to a bar fight. And when he got there, he, he found that the fight really involved a man and a woman who were in a relationship. He assaulted her, he attacked her, and then he fled. This young officer made it to the, to the bar, got a hold of her, took her to her house, made sure that she was safe, swept the whole house, made sure that she was safe. And then he told her, I'm going to go and I'm going to go find your boyfriend, and then I'll, I'll get a hold of you in a little while. By this time it's dark. On his way to the boyfriend's house... She made a phone call. She called the boyfriend and said, he's coming. He's coming for you. And he said, that's fine. When he gets here, I'm going to kill him. He had just got out of prison for serving many years for attacking two of our other officers with an assault rifle. He made a phone call. He called his pastor to get counseling from his pastor. He told his pastor, I'm going to kill him when he gets here. His pastor like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Hung up the phone. Nobody called 911 to tell the officer that he was walking into an ambush. The officer approached that house and was very quickly ambushed by this man with a shotgun. What this man didn't know was that this young officer had only been out of training. He'd completed the academy, completed field training. He'd only been on his own for maybe eight months. And he had a young officer or a young wife at home with their three-month-old little girl. He didn't know that this officer had been specially trained in the United States military, the Army. Expert on every weapons platform um, that you could think of. And so very swiftly that young officer He neutralized that threat with one shot. That suspect died. A phone call was placed by the agency later to this young officer's wife. And as she held that three-month-old little girl in her arms, she almost dropped him. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that, uh, that young wife is your nursery director, my wife. 
Lindsay. That oldest is now a nurse or in nursing training. Um, That's our oldest. Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Pastor Scott challenged us to write that letter. After that incident, I went to church. I was broken. I was heartbroken. I was was just, I couldn't understand why somebody would choose to take someone else's life. He didn't even know him. So I was broken. I didn't know. I didn't feel good. I had to take constant showers. You know, now they call it PTSD. I got through it, but I went to church. And I knew on that day at church, we had an interim pastor. His name was Ted Simons. Ted retired as a captain with the sheriff's office. He was also my sergeant when I was a homicide detective. And he started every day, every single day, I'd pass by his office and the word of God was open. Every day. Every day. He was preaching that day. I can still remember where I sat in that sanctuary, which was four rows up on that aisle right there. I can picture the seat. I don't remember what he was preaching on, but I remember the Holy Spirit calling me to walk that aisle. At the end of the service, I walked that aisle. And, and Ted embraced me, and he said this. He, says, he said, Jeff, you have got to be purposeful about your actions from this point forward as it relates to God. And never forget God is for you. He will never forsake you. He will be there for you every day. You need to put it in his hands. And he will use you for a glorious purpose. But you must focus every day and be intentional for him. I don't do that every day. I got to admit, I fail at times. But that was the message he gave me. And that was the message that I, I went forward with. Four months later, I went to that same girlfriend's house for a home invasion. She had a new boyfriend. He was there. I went into that house, and the intruder was still in the house, and I, I encountered him in the kitchen. I fought him in the kitchen. I got him subdued. Took him out of the house while the boyfriend sat on the couch. I still remember that. Put him in my patrol car. I came back up to talk to her and give her some information. She slammed the door right in my face. I thought to myself, what in the world? This is not worth it. This is not worth it. I was mad. But I remembered what Ted told me. Be purposeful and intentional about your intentions. People are going to treat you unfairly. People are going to disrespect you. But God puts you in a place for a reason. Be purposeful about that. Let him use you. That's Job, ladies and gentlemen. Life is unfair, but his focus was on God. After Satan's first attack, Satan Satan attacks him again. He comes back with permission of the Lord and takes Job's health. And consider the ponder, the suffering that he must be going through and his wife. They lost everything. His wife is heaving deep sobs of grief. She kneels beside him. She leans over and she whispers, Just curse God and die. Just curse God and die. That's how I would feel. You take my children from me and everything that I have, it would be really hard to stay focused and be purposeful about the gratitude and the worship that we give the Lord. 
But ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit's in you. He's dwelling inside you. He's fighting those battles too. You just need to let him. What does Job say? Whether our God gives to us or if he takes away from us, we will follow him. Can you go to the next slide? Suzette? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. I have three principles I want to talk to you this morning about real quickly. We'll go through these quickly. Principle number one. We must set an example for others through a grateful heart. You must set an example for others through a grateful heart. Ted was that example for me. My father who passed away was that example for me. Never forget that people are watching you. They're watching how you react to things. They're watching what you say. They're listening to to every word that comes out of your mouth, especially your children. But those who look up to you process information through you. We must set an example for others through a grateful heart. Attitude to me is everything. I've had people say, you're going to fail. And trust me, I fail and I fail miserably at times. But it's what you do from that failure going forward. It's what you do with that example going forward. You take it, you learn from it, and you be an example for others with a grateful heart. And you always focus on God. Number one. Chuck Swindoll said this, and I love Chuck Swindoll. Very famous quote. Very true. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how you react to it. The training that my son is in right now, the whole training is geared towards breaking them down mentally. Mentally. They want to bust them. They want to break them. It's only 10% what happens. It's 90% mental. 90% how you react to it. In the example that you take. I love it when he says, look, and so it is with, with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. We are in charge of our attitudes. I love that last line. I believe the reason sometimes we are so thankless is because we are so thoughtless at times. And we're not intentional. We're so thankless because we're so thoughtless. One of the things that I had my kids do, lighter moment, I think it was kind of, it wasn't funny at the time, but my two oldest kids disrespected my wife at one point in time in their their teenage years because they knew everything, right? And I love them. If you're watching, I love you. But they disrespected my wife and I told them, I said, listen, she's your mom, but first and foremost, she's my wife, the woman I fell in love with, the woman I will protect and walk through this life with. We are one flesh and we are one team. You will not disrespect my wife. And I had them sit down and write a letter to her. And I said, you're going to list everything that she does for you on a, on a daily basis. Everything. By the time they got done, it was two pages front and back. Two pages front and back. And tears came down their eyes, their face, because they had taken it for granted. They were not intentional about thanking her for what she does. We have to be intentional about the, the thanks that we give God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. 
It's a great illustration. Scripture illustrates all of this for us. It says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance, who stood at a distance, met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten that were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. I wonder in life, I wonder in life if 10% of us truly live with an attitude of gratitude. With an attitude that's intentional about giving thanks to the Lord. 10%. Only one turned back to give thanks. The greatest work we can do in cultivating an attitude of gratitude is to think about being grateful. The things we think about matter. They matter. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep your mind set towards God in all things. When I was in high school, two months before I graduated high school, I ditched school. I was a good student. I was. I was already signed up to go into the Army. I I was two months from graduation, three months before I I left the Army, and my friends, we decided to... uh, to ditch school, hop, I went to high school in the Bay Area of California. Don't hold that against me. I did escape, thank you, through the military. It took them to get me out of there. But we hopped on BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit, on this day because we knew Ricky Henderson, and I was a huge Oakland A's fan. Bash Brothers, you had Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, um, a guy that went to my high school that played third base. His name was Langford. But I was, a, I was a huge fan of Ricky Henderson because I was all about sports. And I, I worked, I don't anymore because I've had knee surgery and whatnot, but I, I just, I love looking at those. They had like tree trunk legs. I mean, just huge. And I used to love watching Ricky Henderson steal bases. And he was two bases shy of breaking Lou Brock's record. So we were like, let's ditch school. He's going to do it today. He's going to do it today. It's one home game, you know, then he's going to go on the road. This is our chance. We did school, got on BART, went to the Oakland Coliseum, got into the, the stands. I swear, you know, if, if he's facing third base line, which he did, I'm sitting out there somewhere in the bleachers, but I don't know where. But we, he stole first base. He stole first, I mean, it was easy, easy. And then he got his lead. We're like, he's going to try for third. He's going to try for third base. And he did. And he stole third base on the same outing. And he broke Lou Brock's record. 
And we were like, sweet, we're here. We saw it happen. And then they brought Lou Brock out, which was awesome. And those who don't know Lou Brock, he is a man of God. He's a pastor. His wife is an ordained minister. Just an amazing man. He stood there, and Ricky Henderson took up the bass like that. He walked over. Lou Brock is over here. I still picture it today. Lou Brock's standing there. He's here on third. He picks up the bass. He walks over the announcer, and he grabs the microphone. He says, you were a great example of a great bass, bass runner. You stole a lot of bases. I am the greatest. And I was like, oh, man, did that just happen? Did that just happen? From that point forward, I was no longer a fan of Ricky Henderson. I, it, it put a pit in my stomach, and I was in high school. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I remember that vividly today because of that, not the fact that he stole. I remember Lou Brock standing there and Ricky Henderson turning to him and saying that I, I am the greatest. The reason I, I show you that is because my next principle for you, or the reason I tell you that, the example we set should be founded in God's character. God's character. Pastor Scott taught us a few weeks ago that our gratitude is based on the goodness of God and his faithful love toward us. He showed us that giving thanks is founded in God's character and that God's character is founded in love. We are blessed to have scripture that it paints that picture for us every day. We see his selfless service in John chapter 13 verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read that to you, but you know the story. You know, on the roads of Jerusalem, the roads were all dirt. And so they had to wash their feet all the time. The disciples would have very eagerly washed Jesus' feet. But they wouldn't, wash, they wouldn't wash anybody else's feet. And so what does Christ do? Christ gives a very poignant picture of spiritual cleansing by washing all their feet. And giving an example to us about the selfless service, the servant's heart that we should have every day. It's not about us. It's not about taking the microphone and saying that you're great because of the accomplishments that you've had. It's about recognizing where God has placed you, what gifts he's given you, and what you can do for others as a Christian. Because like Paul said, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I have to be in this world and live in that world, that's fine because I'll get the fruits of my labor and I will live for Christ. But when I die, that's where the reward is. That's where I would like to be. To live as Christ, to die is gain. That was a picture of spiritual cleansing. Spiritual cleansing from the Lord is representative of that because of the price that he paid for us. My third and final principle for you, our gratitude must be an example of that selfless service that we see from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The selfless service that exemplifies the cross. I want to take you back for a moment to Job and all the wealth that he had and everything that you have, everything that you may have been blessed with. Where is Job's heart? He sits there and he gives 
burnt offerings for his children just in case. Just in case they may have an unpure heart. Just in case. That's where we should be. That's where we should try to be every day. I know it's tough. Life is, I'm telling you. Pardon my French, but life sucks sometimes. You know, my son, he comes from from the army. And you know what the, the infantry, one of the infantry slogans is? Embrace the suck. Because it sucks. Embrace it. Because it's not going away. It's what you do from there. It's how you move forward every day. One of the greatest quotes, one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from Jackie Robinson. Who knows who Jackie Robinson is? Yeah, there you go. I'm not the only one that's getting up in age, right? I'm almost 50. I'm almost 50. Right? I know. I I knew I was going to get the the booze out of that, right? But see, I'm in that, that point where my kids say, oh my gosh, you're so old, right? And then you feel old because things start breaking down. And then you talk about feeling old and people are like, you're not old. I know. Jackie Robinson, the first African-American baseball player. Can you imagine the difficulties and the unfairness that came upon that man? You want to talk about embracing the suck. He had to be convinced to come into the league because he knew what it was going to be like. He wasn't even allowed to stay at the same hotel his teammates were at times. Life is difficult and unfair. That is not fair, ladies and gentlemen, right? We know that. But here's what he said. Imagine everything that he went through. And he says this, a life is not important except the impact it has on other lives. Your life is not important except the impact you have on somebody else. It's not about you. And that's hard to fathom sometimes. I have to tell myself that all the time. When I start getting selfish, oh man, I don't want to do that. And then there's just this little voice, it ain't about you. It ain't about you. So pick yourself up and go embrace the suck. Because it ain't about you. Right? I strongly believe God places in your path people for you to influence. You need to embrace that. Be purposeful in your choices. Be purposeful in your choices so he can use you for his glory. As you go forward in this week, I want to share some next steps with you. Some things just to think about. Things to think about. Because you're you're entering a season of busyness. You're entering a season where we start to become very selfish. Very selfish. I want you to think about this. Number one, identify the people who are watching your example. Identify the people in your life who are watching your example. Number two, Describe God's character based upon your experience and your study of God's word. Describe God's character and how that has influenced you and how that moves you forward. His faithfulness, his love, his compassion. And let's not forget the grace that he shows us every day. 
the grace that he gives us and the mercy that we do not deserve. Make a list and give thanks for the people God has allowed you to have an impact on this year. Who have you had an impact on this year? Who have you had an impact on? And then finally, identify whom God placed in your path to impact. You ever pray for that? God, use me in a glorious way. Before I came out here, I pray, God, not my words. It's not my scripture. It's not my lesson. It's your lesson. It's your word. Who have you had an impact on this year? And who is God going to place before you so you can have that impact? I want you to think about that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.